Hey, everybody. Absolutely electric show this morning. We have one of our investors, Maddie DCL Blogger, one of the OG NFT content creators, definitely uh, a top five content creator in terms of quality and just being prolific. And his specialty is Metaverse Land. And get this, he actually got started at the beginning of the last crypto bear cycle in early 2018, was able to make a bunch of trades on Decentraland specifically and other NFT projects before it was cool, made himself uh, a good little uh, a good little living off of that and now runs an NFT fund and his own NFT project called the MetaKey, one of the best communities in the NFT space. He's the man and we pick his brain on what's going on, uh, you know, in the NFT space now, given the bear market. We also have AJ uh, Taub from the, you know, the mayor of Goblin Town, one of the founders of Goblin Town, talking about some, some new alpha concerning Goblin Town. So fantastic show. Hope you guys enjoy it. As usual, our content is sponsored by FTX. You can sign up at thenifty.com slash FTX or with the code thenifty on your FTX mobile app. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is the NFT Morning Show. It's Thursday. We do this show Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, where we talk all things NFT market. What projects are working? What projects are hurting? The stories of the NFT space and what is going on in the broader NFT and crypto markets. I'm P.O. I'm here with my co-host, Nifty Nick, Signal, Kicks. Easy Eats, and some of our tip, our usual badass speakers, Ben Jammin, Spencer Gordon-Sand, and Quad. And today, we have a very special guest. Let's go. Maddie, DCL blogger and investor in the Nifty, but more importantly, uh, an absolute badass when it comes to all things NFTs, a true NFT OG uh, as a content creator for sure. He'll tell you he got to NFTs late, uh, but I don't buy it. 2018 is early enough for me. Um, so really excited to have Maddie on to discuss how to navigate this bear market. Um, I, we've been trying to get this set up for weeks. I'm really, really excited about this. It's going to be an absolute jam. Uh, we're sponsored by FTX. Sign up at thenifty.com slash FTX or with the code the Nifty on your FTX mobile app. If you spend over 200 bucks on the platform buying cryptocurrency of your choice, then you'll get a $20 bonus uh, deposited into your account with our code and some of the cheapest spreads, by the way, uh, to buy crypto. So we're going to talk to Maddie in depth starting at about 920. Uh, but before we go any further to my co-host, Nick, what's going on? It's looking quite spooky out there. <laughs> I don't know if you've been seeing the markets. It's been uh, pumping. The GDP forecast came in and we're all a little bit spooked. But it's back. Marin is sitting above us and saying that we're going to straight to zero. <laughs> and that's what she's been saying. The 28th. Fear the 28th. It will murder your bags. That's what she said. <laughs> and we're sitting here waiting. I just went long. So we'll see how this pans out there, P.O. But very, Did you? Very spooky. I just bought a couple Bitcoin. I'm going to lose it. <laughs> <laughs> but still very spooky. So this music's getting really annoying. I'm going to stop that now. So you just bought two Bitcoins. Uh, you, you hit a dinger 
yesterday. We'll talk about it later in the show in depth, but you, you made a couple thousand bucks or four thousand, five thousand bucks predicting uh, that ETH was going to go up on Jay Powell. You know, when when I heard somebody say when Jerome Powell's bringing good news, he's Jay Powell. When he's bringing bad news, he's, he's you know, he's Powell. Uh, but he was definitely Jay Powell yesterday, just not bringing any bad news, bringing news that everybody expected and was probably priced in. And you took advantage of that rally. But you're saying now you, you're back in to Bitcoin specifically. Is that right? That's correct. This may, this may not pan out. Well, I got stopped out this morning, so I like lost a few hundred dollars, bought back in. This could go horribly wrong. I want to be clear. Um, but I like how many times can it go above 23,000 without eventually just going straight to infinity? You know, like it, it, that's that's my target price right now. Infinity. That's a, that's a real good trading thesis. I like. That. <laughs> yeah. So you go over 23,000 a couple of times. Bada bing, bada boom. It's sort of like um, right now my trading strategy is similar to the YouTube video that Easy and Kicks did yesterday where they were flipping a coin. Uh, and so <laughs> I think that that uh, for, for basically half an hour just flipping a coin. That and, thing is so screwed, man. 11 uh, straight losses. Well, yeah. I mean, it's 50% every time. Um, did, did you pick the same thing every time? Like, did you yes. go with – you did? Uh, well, until like flip Pick seven, like seven times in a row, and then, and then we, we were switched. Like, we're like, screw these guys, and we go tail, and then we lose <laughs> like five times in a row. Oh my gosh! Um, well, yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm doing something slight, just <laughs> slightly better, um, but it's still uh, debatable at this point in time. So we'll see what happens. Um, I have uh, a strong feeling that I could lose again, but. I'm willing to gamble, so that's well, where that, I am. And yeah, I'm wondering, uh, and Marin's sitting saying, don't fade me. She's saying, "Don't you're going to question the Marin? That's what she wrote. She said, are you going to question the Marin? And I said, excuse me? <laughs> uh, the Marin. I, I have no idea. I never heard you refer to yourself that way. But there she was saying, you're going to fade the Marin? No, she said, new moon pump, then dump. You've been warned. You've been warned. Uh, because yesterday there were a lot of people coming after, and she's just saying, yo, never fade the moons. So here we are. We'll I'm know where we're back in moons. the bull. Oh, sorry, Nick. No, go ahead. No, I was just saying, we'll know we're back in the bull market when she changes name to McLaren. <laughs> very nice ben uh yeah i mean look it might be a play to start counter trading marin because the whole crypto space was just following along uh at this point for the past like six weeks which is hilarious you could just like do what she told you to do and it was a wrap um but look nick you're you're using technical analysis to inform these trades it's not pure coin flip gambling mm, uh, i don't know I mean, in this, uh, <laughs> this recent activity, I've been reflecting back on the past couple of weeks and saying, you may have a problem here, Nick. <laughs> you may, you but may have up. a problem. You're up, right? I don't know. In the past two weeks, probably break even after the $4,000 or $5,000 gain yesterday. Um, but the, the, tr the trading platform's definitely up. Yeah, because <laughs> I, well, I just keep looking at these fees. I wasn't accounting for how heavy their fees are. I knew it was cheaper on like Gemini. $90 for a Bitcoin sometimes, dude. It's not cheap. <laughs> no, I'm paying uh, each way. I think I'm paying $75 per trade 
at the current point in time. And they do it on 0.15%. So if you do, um, well, actually, this one's showing 44 at the moment. I don't know where the hell that's coming from. Um, but, oh, no, that, that was wrong. Um, yeah, if you end up buying uh, like 50K, yeah, it's $70 every single trade. So I'm basically eating $140 even if you get out at the same price. So you, you, you need movement on it. Um, for that for that to work, and one hundred forty dollars is quite a. I mean, I feel like it's a decent hurdle. Like you could go buy two Bitcoin and moves up a uh, hundred dollars, and you and you made sixty bucks be, because of those trading fees. Um, and that's like a lot of exposure uh, for doing that. So the only things that work are like the stuff that happened yesterday, uh, where the target was a two hundred dollar run up in ETH. Um, that's basically what we hit. Uh, actually, yeah, that's it exactly what we hit um and so yeah i mean that, that was kind of my um Nick, why why aren't you trading on dexes why are you trading on a platform with such high fees i mean are dexes dexes take fees also you, not anywhere near that amount like it's usually like basis points well if it's if it's that much cheaper then maybe i'll go explore that uh but that's a, it's a good question. I, every time I've used Uniswap, I always end up eating significant fees, like literally just transferring between like GUSD and USDC, for example, or ETH to GUSD. You just get I, in on that uh, good old fashioned slippage. Dude, it just, you get wrecked on it. Um, and it's, yeah, so I don't know. I've had <coughs> negative experiences with it though, but I, I could be completely wrong. What, which decks are you using? I like uni or sushi. Like they're both they're both decent. Man, I get I get hit with fees every single time. I'm always losing a couple hundred dollars. Um, yeah, every, yeah. So well, I'll tell know. you what, Nick. I don't know about you, but I am absolutely ecstatic to talk to Maddie today. Um, for those that don't know, I started trading on Nifty Gateway in January of last year, and this guy Maddie would come in and he would just buy like fifty of something. And I used I literally some days on on Nifty Gateway I would watch every single trade come across the activity feed and you would just see him making awesome buys and so I then I found out he had this YouTube channel and I absorbed pretty much all of his videos where he was talking about Decentraland and all of the sandbox and all of this different metaverse stuff and he really built um, a, a huge reputation and career in a bear market which is where we are finding ourselves today. So it couldn't be a better time to talk to him. Pio, I know we got to do the weather report first, right? Yes. Yep, yep. So we got to, so now just that we break in, just breaking the sequence here, man. No, no, look, it's just man, violation, man. throwing the flag. <laughs> me, me, me and Kicks got started at the same time, and we both saw Maddie just totally throwing his weight around. My first experience seeing Maddie was when uh, he bought like a bajillion of Victor and Victoria by Ferocious. Yes. And this was, yeah, before Ferocious was like, you know, super, super well known. Um, it was an open edition. I, I want to say for 1000 USD and Maddie just came through and swept the floor um, or, or maybe it was on the primary. The bottom line is it was an incredible trade because that thing seven to 15 X from there. Um, but now that we've covered a little bit about Nick's gambling addiction, we'll definitely go deeper into it later in the show. Uh, I want to see how a much more reasonable person is doing. Signal. We'll how are be you discussing doing? the 12 steps soon. 
Yeah, no, I was going to say, sorry about the echo, guys, but I know I to say it's amazing to have you on the show, Mally, as well. When I first got into the space, I used to consume your YouTube videos at 2x the speed while I was going for my runs in the morning just so I could get through as many videos as possible. So it's a bit of a surreal moment to come around 12 months later and to have you on the show. So thank you for putting out such great content. Um, on to the weather report, guys. So Wednesday, the 27th of July, open sea volume is around 15 million. So we're still continuing to be in this mid-teen range. We haven't broken through. Onto the leaders, we've got apes at 86, mutants at 16, and punks at 71. So just a slight uplift there. While moonbirds are at 20, doodles at 10, and clonex at 9. So these guys have all stabilized. Overnight, Artblocks Curated is leading the OpenSea ranks. Yesterday's curated drop sold out, sold, sorry, started at a 10 ETH auction, minted out around 2.2 ETH, and now has a floor of 1.58. Mutant apes are up in volume after they saw 170,000 sweep come in. It's been a while since we've seen these sweeps, but the volume was there, and mutants are at 16. Damien Hurst tweeted that the final numbers of the currency burn were 5,149 physical and 4,851, meaning that he's going to have to burn 4,800 copies of the physical tenders and he's decided to keep his NFTs, sorry, he's decided to keep his um, currencies as NFTs and the floor on currency right now is 5.5. And lastly, Kevin Rose confirmed that oddities will be supported and there'll be additional fund for the oddity collection down the road. Oddities are now trading at a similar price to duplicators and are currently sitting at a 1.3 ETH floor. On to crypto, BTC is at 22.9 and ETH is at 1,624. So we continue to see the volatility we spoke about at the beginning of the week. That rally is there with the post-macro news with BTC and alts mostly in the green. And lastly, overall midweek, the leading collections have stabilized after some market turbulence. The data shows that first-time buyer wallets remain flat, while the number of wallets buying uh, still fluctuates, but is above 50,000. So for now, the 24-hour forecast is mixed. You might see outbreaks of sunshine on isolated areas, but be on the lookout for unexpected downpours. Back to you, folks. Fantastic weather report, as usual, Signal. Some other noteworthy news events. Uh, pop star icon Madonna has said that she's hell-bent on buying Bored Ape Yacht Club number 3756. This is a trippy fur ape wearing uh, a leather jacket, and I believe the trade is called the Gimp Hat. Uh, it's listed for $1.3 million. She said that that's too expensive. Imagine owning that ape and having Madonna go on record and say that you wanted to buy it must be a pretty cool feeling. I wonder um, if it's uh, that that's uh, just a coincidence that her manager is also uh, a massive holder and investor and advisor in board API club. Probably a coincidence. Look at that. Sounds like a coincidence to me. Uh, and last but not least, Mark Zuckerberg has declared that he's unfazed about a $2.8 billion metaverse division loss in Q2 this year and also said that losses could continue in that division for several years. But Pio, guess what? Don't worry because he said they're going to make hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars off of the metaverse over I mean, the next I couple of decades to come. So we'll see what happens. I think that's true, 100%. Uh, so we'll have to see how it all plays did, out. Did you see that they had an all-hands? In the, the first employee all-hands question, He uh, the, the uh, person's name was Gary, and uh, Gary asked Mark Zuckerberg if they were going to extend the uh, four-day weekends 
<laughs> that they had started in COVID. That was the first question. <laughs> and Mark Zuckerberg was like, based on everything I've just told you, no, no, <laughs> no longer available. Well, it sounds like, uh, yeah, I mean, it sounds like they got a good work ethic over there in Silicon Valley. All right, so we're, we're going to throw to Maddie in a second. Ben, you, you just raise your hand. What's going on? Yeah, I was just going to say that when when we saw the first announcement for Meta and they were going to be charging 50% transaction fees, that was, it was pretty much dead on arrival in my, man, in my mind for that. Yeah, yeah, they definitely need to figure it out, get in touch and, and make adjustments. Um, and we can dive more into that later in the show. We have Maddie. So this is Maddie DCL blogger, uh, investor in the nifty OG NFT content creator, the most prolific NFT content creator before I got in the game, ladies and gentlemen. Maddie, how's it going? Oh my god. Hey guys, what's going on? So glad to be here. You guys are way too kind. I feel so motivated to make content again. <laughs> well, that's what I'm talking about. And and you did slow down. Uh, I don't know if you slowed down because you started running a big fund, being incredibly busy with NFT businesses, or simply because I got in the game as competition. No, I'm just kidding, Maddie. Um, but, you know, <laughs> you've been around for years, man, and you started in a bear market, which is, you know, one of the reasons I was so excited to have you on the show again. Um, I just feel like your experience is totally in line with what we're going through right now, you know? Yeah, man, totally. Uh, it was an interesting time. I started when I actually started in crypto in 2017. So sort of rode the wave up, rode it all the way back down. But I do remember in 2018, Jan, coming across Decentraland. And that was my so first sort of foray into virtual land, which um, the industry didn't really call everything NFTs. They just called virtual land, virtual land and collectibles, collectibles. There wasn't like an encompassing name. But for me, the reason why I stayed, it was because it was exciting. And me personally, uh, I know everyone else was sort of losing money because they were holding crypto or um, there wasn't that many NFT projects. So people weren't really losing money on NFTs. But I was making really good money just trading virtual land on Decentraland. So I had found my little niche that worked. Um, and there was other people that were finding their niche, you know, like Whale Shark was finding how to make a fund and buy collectibles. Pranksy was buying a bunch of different NFT projects. Everyone was finding their little niche and how to make money or build a following or exist in the space when it was super, super quiet. Um, and I think that's what sort of took us through that bear market. And at the same time, people were building their brands and it was quiet, but lots to do. And Maddie, just to just to clarify, so you were you were trading primarily Decentraland, if I recall correctly, in like, you know, 2018, 2019. Mm -hmm. And you're not saying like, okay, I bought a bunch of Decentraland. I just sat on it for three years and then sold it when it ripped. You were actively buying and selling it during 2018 and 2019 in like stacking ETH or, you know, accumulating. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I can go a bit deeper into that because there was a lot of people that held their portfolios and they definitely didn't make as much money. If not, some of them may have lost money because they sold when it was an interesting economy because land would grow in terms of mana token but mana token may, would fall in terms of usd and, you know the eth and mana pay would fluctuate so it's like well how do you make money or cater you know how do you protect yourself with all these downside risks and for me it was yo i'm just going to stack mana as hard as i possibly can and when this bull market comes now 50x stacked my mana by not putting more us dollars in but trading land then i would make a win no matter what happens so I found myself doing that to protect myself on, on all these variables. So you're right. I was stacking 
and only doing virtual land trading. I think for two years straight, I didn't know what the hell was going on outside of the virtual land world. Um, but it, it worked because it was a super focused strategy. And at, at one point, I was buying like full whale portfolios um, for a, a decent amount of money and flipping them for like 2x within the three months. So it was I was finding a place where it was literally just five people doing that in the whole space. And, you know, the more you focus on a niche and the more into it you get, you find yourself in a place where there's not many competitors and there's like an opportunity here where no one else is doing it because they don't really know how to. And, and mind you, back then as well, with Decentraland, there wasn't even a NFT marketplace where you could list or bid and buy using smart contracts. It was for six months straight for the first six months of Decentraland virtual and it was all OTC. So it was all manual. So I had to like give them money first and then pray to God that they'd send the NFT back. So it was, you can imagine how many people didn't want to take that risk. But in my mind, I was like, look, if I get scammed one out of 10 times, I still make money nine times, right? So it was crazy. It was way, way different to what it is now. That's insane. That's almost like, you know, playing the game with a weighted vest on or something. People, creative people will talk about stuff like that where they had like editing software for video that would crash on them all the time or, you know, they had to get the take right in the first take. It's almost like you were doing that with trading. And for people that don't have context, mana is the token of Decentraland, just like sand is the token of Sandbox. So Maddie is talking about accumulating the token of Decentraland, which at, at that point I'd imagine had a pretty low dollar value. Value, but there was a massive bull run on those tokens right after uh, the Facebook announcement of the rebrand to Meta. I believe that was last September. So I wouldn't be surprised if um, if you know anybody that was stacking that that token, you know, really really benefited. Ben uh, has his hand raised. Do you have a question for Maddie, Ben? Yeah. Hey, hey, Maddie. I just wanted to say, been a big fan of yours for a while, and. And I, I did have a question about, you know, how you were approaching the land at the time. Um, you know, since, since we're able to look back in hindsight and see different types of things that have been built and and even, you know, further ideas about what could be built. I'm wondering what what you saw as the value proposition of the land itself at that time. And, you know, what what potentially were you speculating on that people might want to use it for? Um, thanks for the, for the support, Ben. Um, in Decentraland, I remember the very first landing page that they had was like a YouTube video that went on for two minutes and, and it did a really good job of like, uh, really hyping up the fact that you can buy land, build your own possible casinos, your own business venues, your own games, your own whatever you want and monetize it your own way. And that sort of made sense to me. Um, when it, and it, at the time as well, I was, you know, coming off a, a minus 80% from all time high on my portfolio. And I was like scrambling around to be like, oh, well, how do I diversify this? How do I protect the downside for, and virtual land was one set, almost separate category to crypto. So for me, I was like, oh, wait a second, this is pretty cool. I can put it in virtual land at the same time, owning virtual land and having a business of sorts, which, which I will explore over the next one or two years makes sense. Uh, also, if, you, if you're in crypto and you're in here, here for one or two years, maybe three years, you, you do understand that much of product building, especially in the early one to three years of any project is marketing. It's 90% marketing. It's 90% visual. It's about telling a story on Twitter, just going hard on social, letting everyone know what the hell you're doing. And virtual land at that time in, under the crypto banner, when it comes to everything else in the space, it was about currencies. It was about DeFi. It wasn't even about DeFi. It was about cryptocurrencies. 
It was a little bit about blockchain. It was really boring financial stuff, which outside of crypto, no one really cared about. But here you had a project which was very visual that had something to do with games and, and had an interesting, intriguing concept, this whole metaverse thing. And I was like, you know what? This is, this is more in line with something that can go viral on social media. Um, something that everyone can look at and be like, well, this is pretty cool. And, any, and people outside of the crypto world, my friends could resonate with because they can, they can see what's going on here. So there was a lot of those factors that came into play um, when deciding to sort of long-term invest. But my long-term investment strategies changed literally the next day when I sold the land for like 2x for what I bought. <laughs> and that's when the trading, the trading idea came into play. I'm going to hold this for hold years. 2x? No, I'll take that right now. <laughs> Well, I love this long-term NFT, vision, but as, as soon well. as someone offers me money, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I, I love NFT, it, Maddie. Thank what, you. What I realized is you could negotiate your way in, which is different to currencies traded on on exchanges with, with, with a set price. With NFTs, especially on Discord, and someone's got like 10 virtual land, say he's got 10, 10 Decentraland lands as a portfolio, he wants to sell it for 3,000 mana, and you're like, no, sorry, like that's too much risk for me to take on. I'll buy it for 2,000 mana a piece. And they'll sell it for you for two thousand mana a piece, and suddenly you've you've sort of already made instantly almost a thousand mana a piece. If that's the floor, if the floor is three thousand mana, then you sort of instantly made a profit right at the purchase. So it was a realization that you can negotiate, buy, and sell without worrying about the price increasing from that point. You can do it for where the price is at that point, if that makes sense. Definitely, and, and kicks. You have your hand raised. Do you have a follow up on that? Yeah, I was I was just uh, you know curious, Maddie, because you know you got into metaverses, of course, like very early back in 2018 with the Central Land, and a lot has changed since then. Um, we've had you know Sandbox come on the scene, of course. Um, Po already hi highlighted last year we had a pretty insane uh, like metaverse sector uh, bull run where Decentraland went crazy, Sandbox went crazy, uh, their tokens. Uh, appreciated very substantially as well. We had new metaverses like uh, Worldwide Webland come on and, and a bunch of other projects. And then, of course, Facebook uh, rebranding to Meta and trying to come in. So I'm just curious, uh, like, how, how are you looking at the at the metaverse today? Has your thesis changed at all? Or uh, do you feel like now that we've gotten to price, uh, price appreciation levels where you know, of course, there's not going to be as much upside in 2018. But just overall, how are you looking at the, you know, the whole metaverse uh, ecosystem today? Yeah, man, good question. I think at the start, I looked, I saw, I saw the sector, I knew it was very new. My mentality was that the first projects to launch in this space, saying that they're metaverse, selling virtual land or doing something in the space that is very new, were hyper experimental. And some of them would do good, some of them would fail and, and, be forgotten about in time um i think like and this is where when i set up my company the medic key which at some point will start to run events in these virtual places we bought some land across different space and uh, different spaces and then i started to see things not from an investor's point of view but from like a builder's point of view and i sort of realized you know like high pricing on lands or selling land at all gates the amount of creativity that can be built on said metaverse a big big killer big killer of innovation. Sometimes you just get people buying land that have no idea what to build, how to build, don't want to build. And then they're a liability because there's this empty land there that's central that can have a tremendous value if it goes in the hands of the right people. They price it at a million dollars, it never sells. And so that, I mean, the world doesn't get developed. So I think we're, we're exploring the models of what this may mean. I think 
um, other metaverse projects, although we have had some say that they're going to launch and, um, you know, apart from World Wide Web and a, a few others, um, there's not many that are traversable at this point. There's still a lot of building that needs to be done. I think this metaverse thing is way bigger than we're all thinking in terms of building and, and stabilizing and growing. And I think only those that are either very well funded or have a lot of build power behind them will make it happen. So I'm being a little bit cautious when it comes to long-term investing in land. I'm trying to see which projects have the ability to bring in you know, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people uh, to their metaverse in the coming years. And I'm sort of taking my time with it all. With Decentraland, you could have been two years late but still made a killing. It doesn't hurt to just wait to see the maturity of projects. Um, you don't have to be early. You don't have to be day one mint. You can wait it out for years. I mean, look at punks. You could have been two years late and bloody 100x your money. So with that, with the metaverse thing, I think we're so, so early with this whole momentum starting you know, 20, 25 years ago with books like Snow Crash and stuff. We're way closer now. We can be patient and see which projects start to show, start to show a lot of momentum. Um, I think um, Improbable is quite incredible what they're doing in terms of a network infrastructure layer, yeah. seeing how that plays out and a bunch of others. But yeah, being a bit patient and not really investing too much at this point. I love that. Uh, being patient is is a good uh, message to all of the people here, especially a lot of us trading uh, off of the one second candles. Um, and I love that you highlighted the uh, gating creator problem with metaverses, because that's something I did actually tweet about um, uh, this weekend. I, I uh, made a comparison to like TikTok, which is, you know, an example of a creator economy. And I was like, what it, you know, TikTok's massively successful because like anyone can create content. And if you do a really good job of creating content, you get a lot of views. And then like through that, you can start kind of getting paid for your content. But imagine if, you know, TikTok only allowed 100,000 people to create content if they had like a content pass, right? And what would have that done to the economy? It probably wouldn't have worked out uh, nearly as well. So uh, it, looking at that similar to you there, I'll kick it over to Iceman who has a question. Hey, thanks, Kix and GM, everyone. Uh, Maddie, thanks for coming and obviously spending some time with us. I, you know, Kix and both Ben asked very vital questions. And I guess, you know, like while we're on the topic, we hear every single day, like Metaverse this and Metaland that, and kind of to exactly what you guys are talking about, I think people worry about like the gatedness of maybe what like a 100,000 piece collection like could due to like say a world or an economy or whatever and so you know looking around at the metaverse like do you think an open metaverse where anyone is allowed to join and interact and create and build is the way we'll go forward or do you see like value in kind of like this gated style nft community that we're like building now oh absolutely man i absolutely see the whole open metaverse thing being the norm uh, at some point we have to have like you know anyone can participate in a fric frictionless efficient way go to any event um, be able to build any way they want um, the gatedness is because this virtual land thing started in the crypto world crypto is all about investing when assets are released on the blockchain whether it be fungible or non-fungible they can be traded that's the concept of using blockchain to release fungible and non-fungible tokens because it was born there i mean it started with this whole gating thing uh which wasn't meant to be that i'm sure decentraland when they released land they were saying they released 180,000 parcels right um i think they did have plans to expand but then obviously that 
has issues with current investors, etc. But I do think that it has to flip the model almost. It has to be um, uh, an experience that's built out. Maybe the company has to sort of take the reins and build out amazing experiences and build their own version of like a prototype metaverse that's central to the rest of the metaverse. And you could go in there and play games and explore and go to high scale events and inspire everyone else to maybe buy their own land in the far outskirts if there is a land economy. But um, it has to be open and scalable. It, if it's open, it's scalable. If it's not open, it's going to die a slow death because it can't scale. I mean, you can't scale beyond 180,000 land parcels in Decentraland. And so what are you going to do when millions of people are here creating? The 900,000 plus will go somewhere else, right? Very good point, Maddie. Nick, you have your hand raised. What's going on? I was wondering, outside of just like thoughts on the uh, metaverse, I'm curious, like for those who don't know, uh, you're, you're also... Uh, the founder of MetaKey, which is um, an NFT project which integrates into the metaverse and is, uh, plat or, I guess, platform agnostic. I, I, I'm almost even hesitant to keep using the word metaverse for, at this point in time. But, um, I, like, I, I remember when you launched, that was over a year ago, the first one. I don't think I – well, I definitely didn't participate at that point because I wasn't even, like, I saw it but had not really purchased any NFTs yet at that point in time. Um, and I'm wondering, like, over a year later after starting it, kind of uh, what your lessons learned from that uh, have been so far and how you're sort of thinking moving forward in terms of delivering value to uh, those holders. Like, because last year there was, like, just an immense amount of hype around the metaverse as a whole and everything else. And there continues to be at this moment in time. But, like, just like I, I think back to the first internet bubble, People were really excited about the internet, but a lot of companies came out and uh, and and then you have to, to pretty much wait five, ten years for a lot of those uh, visions to be realized in a sort of more sustainable slash profitable way. So I'm wondering, like, for your project, kind of what are the lessons learned and be, you know, like, how are you thinking about navigating the space today uh, versus, you know, uh, years from now when a lot of these platforms are more developed? Super interesting question. Yeah, uh, it's been, I think, just over a year since we launched the Medici. Uh, if anyone's not come across it, basically, it was the premise that, um, fun fact, I think the Medici launched the same day that Bored Apes did. So Bored Apes absolutely crushed it with their avatar model. <laughs> uh, and uh, our concept was that, um, you know, NFTs were being seen as collectibles, as art. They were getting a lot of shade because of that. And we were going to flip the script and say, well, what does it look like to, to release uh, thousands of NFTs out there that were like a VIP card or some sort of utility token where we can build hundreds of utility points to it. So you can take the Decentraland and get a 1% stat boost or take it to Sandbox and get item item drops or take it to a DEX and get 1% stat, uh, you know, fee uh, reduction on trading on Fridays. The beautiful thing about blockchain is you can take an item to different places and get different value. So that was up to us to knock on the doors of all these companies and find out integrations. Definitely has um, evolved. The thought has evolved. We've sort of spent, you know, the biggest hit to me, and I'm not sure, Nick and Pio, if you guys noticed this uh, based on how you run your company, but the biggest um, realization for me was how hard it was to build a process to something that was very uncharted at that point. Like, it's so easy to say, yeah, yeah, look, we're going to build all these integrations, but then you suddenly get hundreds of, projects knocking on your doors and wanting to collaborate and now literally 
80 of them have thrown in the towel. So who do you say yes to? What sort of integrations do you commit to? How much time do you commit there? Who do you hire? Uh, what roles do they have? I mean, this is a very new style of a company that builds on blockchain. Do you hire more art art people? Do you hire more devs? What talent do you look for? Because do you look for people that are native to the NFT space so they can understand what's going on? Or do you hire people that are outside of this space? Honestly, that took six to eight months to figure out and fine tune. Um, now we've got 25 to 30 people and we're focusing on, I think when it comes to value building, um, there's a few points that come to mind. Uh, things like education, so building like some sort of an academy where you can get access to um, using the MediKey. But even we're thinking, why not just make it free? So it's just anyone can get access to it, but the MediKey could be some sort of a compounder to points that you can earn while educating or learning. And then maybe you can earn rewards as items that are usable in Decentraland or different metaverses or whatever, right? And we're also building a gaming universe. We're doing a lot of brand partnerships. Um, say something like Audi will come by and we'll do some collaboration with them where you might get an item drop in a game, but maybe the MediKey will be used in Audi somewhere. Totally hypothetical, but some of the brands we're working with. But it's taking a long time because the more tier one the brand, the more time it's going to take because they want to do it right. You can't just degen forward in two months. You've got to really think about an activation strategy. So we've been around for 12 months. I think the lessons have been learned. Um, the teams have been hired. The funding's there. It's, you know, in the second or third year, I think we're going to, probably in the second year, like now in the next six to 10 months, we're going to start to see some real momentum. One learning was, and I'll end with this, one super strong learning was how much of the project was dependent on me being social. And that was a realization. You know, the MediKey company was cool. The concept was cool, but it still required me and Maddie to be extremely social, keep doing my streams, keep being active on Twitter, Twitter, keep bringing awareness and noise to it for it to sustain value. And so that was a realization of the next six months, which is why, one of the motivations for me to, you know, get really heavy with content again. I mean, we've seen a, uh, a well, a lot of the findings that you mentioned uh, make sense. There's there's a couple of things there. One is, um, yeah, how you set up processes and selecting which area area you focus on in a world that's sort of unchartered. Um, I mean, you can sort of argue that some of this stuff. Um, like for for us on the media side, that's an area that's sort of has a somewhat proven model. Um, but uh, simultaneously, um, in terms of like NFT delivering value, you're seeing a lot of projects just try to figure it out as they go. Um, so that makes a ton of sense. The, the other thing it sort of sounded like and kind of reminds me of was, and this is what we saw with uh, sort of in the Facebook days with Facebook platform. You, you saw essentially a bunch of brands that, uh, well, startups that got funding, entered the space, and then basically uh, raised capital, didn't necessarily know what they were going to do, and very quickly uh, sort of adjusted paths and partnered with brands, like it sounds like you are, that, that help provide uh, both a revenue stream, um, but also a business model to sustain while people figure out what the hell is going on. Um, and it sounds like that's kind of some of the stuff that you're doing. I uh, used Audi as an example as well. Um, but are, are you finding that that's kind of like uh, the, the, the brands are coming out and looking for advice on navigating this territory and, and you're sort of operating as a Sherpa for them there? Yes, I'm going to put this out there. I think one of the biggest opportunity is to handhold brands into the space 
whether they be native to the space, like new brands in the NFT space that want to exist or activate in the metaverse somehow, or whether it be, uh, you know, traditional brands like Audi, like anyone else. One of the, the, there's so many things that are major hurdles when it comes to the metaverse space. One, strategy. What do they do in this space? How do they translate their brand to a, to this NFT centric, crypto centric crowd that want to be very social and what, what, what defines value to them? So they need someone that's sort of an NFT DJ that's understood this space to give them that strategy, that strategic advice. Secondly, leasing land. Like if they want to develop on Decentraland, who do they contact? How did they deploy? Third, the building out, the concept design, the 3D building, the modeling, the activation, the, and then fourth, the PR and marketing. When they do activate, how do they make so much noise that everyone knows that they exist? And this has got nothing to do with selling NFTs. A lot of these brands don't want to even sell NFTs. They just want to activate, experiment, and they'll spend 50 to 100K to figure it out or just release phase one. So you got that happening now. And if you look at the metaverse, um, like the Decentraland, the sandboxes, they'll be lucky to have 5,000 people across all of them at any given moment, which is minuscule compared to millions of people potentially in the next 10 years. So the same brands spending 50 to 100K today will absolutely spend millions of dollars in the next 10 years. And suddenly you have the necessity for strategic consultation. You have the necessity for building their brands out for activation PR. That's how you get a metaverse version of a KPMG or a Capgemini, right? Providing these major services. So I this is... How, how I think and where we, we think we're going is if we're going to play in the metaverse space, what services or what value can Medicare provide so that it's an umbrella so that it can play in these areas, right? And so, again, I think this is going to be a major opportunity. Um, and that's why brand building right now for me is more just building relationships with these brands because these brands have networks. They have CEOs that currently work within them that have also, you know, they're ex-CEOs of other companies and so they can introduce it to them. And if you start this chain of network, then you'll be unstoppable in the few years. Fantastic response, Maddie. And you're as deep in the business as anybody is. Signal has her hand raised. Signal, do you have a question for Maddie? Yeah, I do. Um, Maddie, you mentioned that you started as a long-term investor and then you moved into trading because you saw more potential upside in the virtual land. For people or friends who are coming into space summer 2022, what niches would you tell them to look at and do more research in so they can set themselves up for the next six months and then going into 2023? Um, hmm, good question. When it, I mean, I know you guys have seen some of my wins, but I really, I really talk about some of my losses and they've been so immense and they've been, you know, things that I've been so confident in, but have just fallen flat on their face. Uh, some of the niches, some of the losses, some of the money loss has been tremendous, right? It just hit me pretty hard sometimes. And the benefit for me has been, I'm quite well diversified. So although there was a loss somewhere, there's a gain somewhere. It all sort of equals out. And predominantly there was a gain. So, you know, there was a lot of luck in there as well. When it comes to niche finding, I think it's hard. It's hard. Like you look at niches that are stable in the traditional markets and that's things like collectibles. That's things like art. You know, digital art has been a thing in crypto land since 2015. Before Ethereum, stuff was uh, minted on Bitcoin chain, right? Using counterparties. So I can't see art going away. I do see whatever you're parting your money with, you have to really love that area. You have to really understand that area. If you're buying it because your friend bought it, it's going to be tough because maybe your friend sells it two days later and he doesn't tell you or he or she doesn't tell you and then you haven't sold it. Maybe the timing changed. Yeah, when it, when it comes to long term, 
for me, it is art. For me, it, I know it's gaming as well, but I'm being a bit patient there because it doesn't mean that I just throw my money at games that come by. It does mean that I look for games that have momentum. And again, like I'm happy to be late, guys. I'm happy to be one year, two years late. I was late to Axie Infinity. I was late to so many projects. But when they, when they show signs of user-based growth and intrinsic value growing, that's when you start to invest. And you may not make the 100x, but you might make a 20x, and that's plenty of money to use and put somewhere else. So I'd say gaming, art, uh, collectibles, the, the stuff that keeps being talked about for the last two years, I know people keep saying Fidenzas and uh, generative art, that's an area where I haven't looked. But um, because you know, I invested in art because it kept hitting my radar for two years straight, and that's when I made the plunge and learned all about it. So mm, I'd say there was virtual land I'd be very hesitant with when it comes to long term. I think some new projects will eclipse old projects. And I mean, yes, there's Decentraland today and the Sandbox and a few others, but how will these projects be in the next, when there's hundreds of Metaverse projects, right? What will that do to the price of things? So um, yeah, those are a few. Fantastic response again, Mandy. I have a couple of questions. So first of all, like, you know, you've bought some really notable stuff. You are in the 300 Club. For people that don't know, this is like some real OG shit. Rare Pepe's, right, which is where like my profile picture comes from because I got in on Rare Pepe's uh, in 2021. They've been around since 2016. And the original one, the Nakamoto card, has posted really big sales throughout history. Maddie, I know you bought the Nakamoto card. Just this one investment, right, this this OG NFT built on Bitcoin, 300 Club, blah, blah, blah. Um, how do you feel about that investment now? Because I know you paid a sizable amount. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I just think it would be interesting to hear because when, when I look at the rare Pepe market now, you know, you look at guys like Vince Van Doe, um, he was affiliated with Three Arrows Capital. Now they blew up. And rare Pepe's, if you want to sell an individual card, it's pretty illiquid. And if you want to actually get rid of it, you have to take uh, uh, like an offer or something that's kind of a low ball situation. Like, is that an investment that you look at and you're like, I still mm -hmm. think that that can come back long term? Or are you like, well, that was that one was a little off. The, the way I see it is if 80 percent of my funds was locked into that, I'd be very spooked. But it's, <laughs> not. it's, you know, I, I put my money everywhere and I understand some take time, some fall flat, some might take five years to boom, some might go nowhere. Some go up straight away. When it comes to rare Pepe's, I found it super interesting to dive into. And I'm sure you guys did. I remember talking to you, Pio. Um, and it we was dove like in at the same hole. time. Yeah. Yeah. It was like this rabbit hole that was like, holy shit, this whole community existed before Ethereum, which for me, three years into this space was brand new. And for many people, it was brand new. Everyone thought CryptoPunks was the first NFTs on Ethereum or in the world. And we all figured out that there was more. And so this rabbit hole plus the whole rare Pepe is, you know, the fact that five years later, people were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on it. Um, and, you know, when, when I ever think about selling any of my cards, it's hard for me to sell it. You know, those factors combined make me think, yeah, look, this, these could have a long-term um, long value. And when it comes to investing in certain categories, I look at items within those categories that are sort of like the leaders. So when you look at counterparty, well, I, I would argue that Rare Pepe's are probably the dominant project when it comes to Counterparty. Maybe there's others. Um, and when it comes to Rare Pepe's, you would, it would be the Nakamoto card that would be one of, if not the most prestigious cards. So I'm covered there for that category. So yeah, look, I, I'm not worrying. And if the price takes a bit of a dip, that's fine. Uh, long term, I think, you know, five years, 10 years, I think about 
even if one or two of my purchases in my whole career goes absolutely bonkers and everyone wants it in the world, then that's it. I'm happy, you know, and, and I think about it that way. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's the venture capital mindset. And that's really what we're doing to some capacity, depending on if you're investing in like these NFT startup type things versus like fine art. And, you know, rare Pepe's would fall into like OG fine art slash collectibles. And you just talked about holding long term. And earlier in the show, you talked about, uh, you know, thinking about holding long term, but then accepting offers for a 2x in a short time period and basically speculating that if people had had that long term mentality, um, you know, without trading, that they wouldn't do as well as the trading. So I just want to ask a question about this since you've been in the game since 2017, since you've been so active and actually participating during the bear market, you know, uh, a lot of people, especially like I come from Bitcoin and a lot of Bitcoiners are big on HODL, right? Always hold. That's the answer is to hold. Don't switch from Bitcoin back to fiat. That's switching from the new system to the legacy system. It doesn't make sense. I started accumulating Bitcoin at $6,000. You know, you watch the thing go up to almost 70 grand and then it, now it's coming back down. It's around 20 grand. And we've seen this with NFTs too, where you round trip, right? And I look at say a mutant ape, right? That me and Nick looked into it and we spent nine grand on our mutant apes the day of the drop. So you minted it, that Dutch auction, 9,000 US dollars. Right now, mutant apes at $27,000. So it's, you know, we're in the green or in the black on that investment in a good way, right? We are not underwater. But in theory, if we keep going lower and lower and lower, you can round trip on that stuff. And I've had that happen so many times with NFT investments. Do, do you have like a kind of a system that you use to evaluate whether it makes sense to do a short-term trade? I mean, you know, the Mutant Ape went up to $110,000 just to run with this example, $110,000 floor. But then I got the airdrop of ApeCoin and the Mutant Land or, or the other deed airdrop. And my other deed had a coda. Right. And that was worth one hundred thousand dollars that night. So it's it's really one of the most challenging games to play is to figure out whether or not, you know, you should sell this stuff or hold it for the long term. But do you have a system that you use to figure out, do I dump this? Do I hold this? So you avoid round tripping like I was talking about. Yeah, it is a system. It's not fine tuned or anything documented. It's all in my brain <laughs> and nothing like perfect. But the way I think about it is definitely a lot to do with risk um, management. So, and also multiple buying of assets. So when it comes to Decentraland, you know, uh, say, let's assume I have, you know, 50 pieces of land. I may actively trade 30 pieces of those lands, but long hold 20 of them. Because maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's better to long hold. And I'll long hold all, uh, much of them. And the higher the price will go, the more risk I'll take off the table. So a lot of it does come from the VC mindset and spreading your wealth everywhere and managing your risk downturn. But I like to put myself in what I call a win-win scenario. So the price goes up, that's fine. Um, I still have the 20 pieces of land. Price goes down, that's fine. I've sold 20 or 30 of them. Um, I still win. So at the end of the day, for me, it's not about measuring myself as to how high I could have sold it at or um, how low I could have bought it at because those are just hypothetical numbers and the reality is the fact of life life is you'll never buy it at the, the bottom and you'll never sell it at the top. You'll always there'll always be a range where you'll put your money in and take your money out. So for me, as long as that's a profit and what I've learned with crypto is never sell everything. So um say I have three board apes, you know, the max I'll sell is two. I'll hold on to the one. Because you just never know which one's gonna literally be the biggest thing the world has ever seen. I mean, who yeah. would have known about board apes, right? 
And so even with cryptocurrencies, I remember like how much money I, I how much opportunity cost I lost. I had like 30,000 BNB tokens at one point, which I sold at $1 because it made a 10 cent gain, right? Imagine if I had just sold 25,000 of them and kept 5,000. And it doesn't hurt to just keep 10% of your portfolio or keep your hands in, in the game some way. Um, but, you know, it's not, there's so many factors here. Like, is the whole market looking bad? Is the whole market looking good? Should you take more risk off the table? Risk off the table. And all of these strategies start to fine tune themselves the more years you spend in the space. Yeah, I learned that for the first time with Dogecoin. I had 2,000 USD worth of Dogecoin that was accumulated at fractions of a cent. And then it ended up going almost a dollar. It was like a, I don't even, it was over a 100x. So the 2,000 bucks would have been like a quarter million bucks. And I hadn't had any, any <laughs> trades like that. I, dude, yeah, because like I just, I was like, why am I holding these dog tokens? And I ended up selling it for probably the most negligible gain ever right before the massive mm -hmm. run. I think that was January maybe January 21 that uh, Dogecoin went on that run before alt season. T terrible lesson to learn. Um, I want to throw to Sam Pot, who has a question for Maddie, and then I want to get Maddie's thoughts on Other Deed because it's emerged as probably the most notable um, metaverse land project. And then we can let Maddie go because I know it's really late for him and we really appreciate the time you spent with us today, Maddie. Uh, Sam, do you have a question for Maddie? Yeah, yeah, we do. But yeah, I do indeed. And yeah, really appreciate, appreciate Matty coming on and, and spending some time with us today. His insight, I really respect it. So I did just want to ask him a really selfish question, if that's okay with you, Pio. Um, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, Matt, of course. So, to, I'm inviting you to do it. <laughs> cheers, bud. Uh, yeah, Matty, so just there's a few of us in the Discord who are just um, looking into or already invested in uh, Fluff and looking at Futureverse. Um, I was just curious if that was on your radar at all. Obviously, now you've been discussing uh, metaverse projects and, um, and future protocols and layer one. So, yeah, Futureverse and Root Network, uh, it's called. Is Futureverse a fluff creation? Uh, it's it's done by the, the same team and creator. They've been working on the, the layer one protocol, the Futureverse, for about five years. Uh, and and right. their assets will be integrated into it, yeah. Yeah, that's all ASM, right? It is indeed, yeah. Right, right, right. Um, I have to be honest, guys. Like the amount of NFT projects in this space is just way over, yeah, my bandwidth to explore. I do respect Fluff a lot because I have looked into them. I know some of the largest whales in Fluff, and they're so excited about them. I see them building consistently, and those. I don't want to say that any NFT project will do well or not, but they've got the makings of what I would classify as a as a founder team that do build great products and exist in the space long-term and build something amazing. And I've jumped into their Discord. It's super active all the time. So um, I would, yeah, I, I'm bullish on the founders. I don't have any myself. I have not looked into Futureverse or anything like that. So I sadly can't comment. Yeah, no, no worries, Matt. Yeah, we don't. We definitely don't need to dive into like you know, kind of more uh, fringe NFT projects. But I want to talk about other deed uh, because, like I mentioned, obviously, you know, it's emerged as a as a big time uh, project. You talked about improbable already. Are, do you have exposure to other deed? Like, wh what are your thoughts on it? We're seeing the floor pull back. It's at two point forty five. ETH floor, it looks like now, or 2.25. So it's continuing to pull back. People on this show have set extreme targets in my mind of one ETH. You know, there's 100,000 supply. There's 100,000 more lands that are going to come out, and it's going to be a big uh, undertaking to actually get that, uh, you know, 
up and running, so to speak. It's going to take multiple years. What are your thoughts on other deep knowing what you know about Decentraland and, and you know, other metaverse projects? Look, Board Ape Yacht Club have surprised me a hundred times at least <laughs> over the last 12 months. They're bloody good at what they do. But in saying that, supply and demand and the thinking around that, math is how this this whole economy works and supply and demand is a huge factor. Um, I remember Decentraland, same sort of quantity there, about 100,000 pieces of land or 180,000 pieces of land. Because there was so much land there, the price would appreciate so slowly, even though there was extreme demand. Um, and that's because there was so much supply on the market for sale. So when it comes to other deed, um, I think the price increase might be slow because just, just because there is 100,000 pieces of land there. In terms of the tech and what they're doing and as a brand and as culture, um, they've been amazing. Like that is a brand absolutely that I would want exposure to and I do. I don't have any other deed lands. I'm sort of, again, just, just being super patient with everything in the market, letting it all play out. Um, you know what? The, the interesting thing about Board API Club is they're working with Improbable. And Improbable are they're just light years ahead, ahead of anything else that can scale to that level. So when you look at, um, I mean, I don't think even in traditional gaming outside of crypto, you can get anywhere near you know, a thousand people in one server. And I believe they can get thousands. Um, I know there's some limitations there. They use um, much of the same models and you can't get different, you know, models and all that sort of stuff. And that's maybe many years away, but there's still, there's an intersect there with improbable being like a major scaling technology that's funded with half a billion dollars, have, has almost a thousand people that, that work there and a gaming team that is building out Board Ape Yacht Club. And then you have Board Ape Yacht Club, which is like the biggest NFT project, by far the most respected in terms of culture. And they're both teaming up to build something amazing. So for me, it's like, okay, that's definitely going to be a big deal. What do I invest in? Land is interesting, but there's a lot of supply. Cryptocurrency, like their Ape token for me, I'm, I'm pretty bullish on the Ape token just because um, there's more exposure there. Like it's an easier vehicle for people to invest in when traditional people that don't know anything about NFTs want to invest in Board Ape Yacht Club, the Ape tokens there on um, you know multiple exchanges. So Ape token, I think I'm bullish on when it comes to their NFTs. Um, yeah, when it comes to other deed land, I don't know. Have they said what you can build on the land? Like I know they've got a lot of minerals and items and, and there's this sort of economy within the land ownership, but have can you build high fidelity stuff uh, like what they showed in, in the trailers? So I think that's unclear. I mean, they're going to reward people that actually contribute to these demos, right? So the people that are going to be receiving that $100,000, uh, those those additional lands are going to be the people that contribute, which I think is fantastic, right? They're ha having people like help build the world. But I still think uh, details are relatively limited. Having said that, I'm not like a person that's uh, qualified to be developing this stuff. Uh, I didn't participate in the demos, right? I don't have any exposure to other deed either. But um, yeah, I mean, like, I, I'm not totally sure. I, ben might know. Yeah, ben, Ben's been following closely. He might know. Yeah, they've been um, they've been very vocal about uh, their their uh, use of SDKs, their software development kits, and they really want people to not just embrace it but to be rewarded for actually using them. And so um, it, it's going to be, in my opinion, Maddie, in, in a similar way to how Sandbox had their like game creator and stuff like that, where 
you know, they'll probably give people an easier environment to build. But if if they want to do it more independently, they'll have all the tools, resources and support to be able to do so. So I assume that they, you know, if they're putting out such a high fidelity environment that they would intend on having creators that are, um, you know, sufficient enough with those kind of skills to be able to contribute to the world in a way that doesn't diminish the quality. So I would say that, you know, like you said, with Improbable working together um, and taking the lead on this, um, that, you know, primarily they'll probably be involved in the, the tech support with whoever's building with them. But they did reserve um, they did reserve lands for people who are going to be building. And I'm sure there's going to be ApeCoin as well that, um, you know, contributes to the, the creator ecosystem there. Yeah, like for me, I'm super curious to see the timing on when things get released. Um, sometimes it doesn't matter when products get released. It's sort of the journey getting there and that's enough to affect prices and make them go up and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, Decentraland took two, two years to have a virtual world to walk around. And that was super basic when it first launched. Sandbox is still in beta, I believe. You can't all go in there. And that's been building for four years. Um, you know, this whole metaverse thing is awesome. And I would hope that the Improbable X uh, board APR club would mean that we'll get something relatively soon. And it might take one or two years, but it's not going to be like five years away, you know? Yeah, I agree with that. And, and Improbable has been building out this tech for a while. And the, the way that, you know, I look at it is they're basically just like white labeling their tech to board Ape so they can, you know, just hop in and be interoperable with it. And, you know, if, if it would take four years, then we might be like halfway there. So I do agree with you about like the one to two year timeline, especially considering they have the obelisk roadmap that they're going to be, you know, doing a lot of different events for in the world. And there's at least another, I think, four um first trip demos and so if we assume that's going to be you know a few weeks or a month in between each then you're at least looking at like six months until even the the roadmap starts developing further past the the demo standpoint and spencer has his hand oh go ahead maddie sorry go ahead no 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 all good all good yeah i was just gonna say spencer has his hand raised maybe one last question for maddie yeah, no, I was just I was curious. So, Maddie, I, I've seen your name recently on some like venture cap tables, and I was curious how you thought about um, being someone who plays as obviously a token holder and also a venture investor in the space, since it seems like you're participating in multiple aspects of it. Yeah, look, uh, venture investing is new to me. Um, I started the fund a year and a half ago, and the concept of venture investing for those that are new to, to it is basically you sort of lead a fund and um, other people that don't really understand or know how to invest in a certain category, this category in my case being NFTs or the NFT space as a whole, you know, they'd give me money and then I would manage that money and get a percentage return on the profits that I'd make. So that's what venture investing is. And some venture funds have gone on to raise hundreds of millions of dollars and do extremely well. Um, and sometimes you get bad press because you know they say vcs ruin everything and i think that's come a lot from traditional companies where vcs have taken a majority share and then suddenly become the director of the you know start start to have a lot of influence in the direction companies take and that's where it's gotten a bit funny but the investing that i do and and some of the funds in the nft space do is more just financial and strategic support so we let you know the ceos and the founders do whatever they want to do but the benefit there is that they get funding and uh, you know my company also raised using vcs 
um, you get funding from people that come with strategy. So not only do they give you some funding and um, get some percentage of your business, but they will give you um, strategic, they'll give you a network. They'll say, hey, Maddie, I know a lawyer, you know, go to this person. Oh, you want, you know, I have a friend who knows this brand. Okay, I'll connect you to there. And so it comes, it helps a lot. And that's why when you look at when Medici raised, we got 20 to 25 different investors and each one was handpicked because they came with certain expertise. In terms of what I see, um, you definitely get um, a look at things that others don't because when you get pitched ideas uh, like Improbable, my fund invested in Improbable, um, their, their M2, their M2 technology. So we, we were like blown away with their trailer before they released it to public. And they need to showcase what they're building to investors because that's how they raise money. So they were like, yeah, guys, like this is what we're going to build. We've been testing this. We've been existing for the last 10 years. So like I, I knew about Improbable before the Board Ape thing. I did not know that they were going to work with Board Ape. I didn't know about any partnerships or anything that they had in the works. I just knew that the tech was bloody awesome and that they're raising money on something that's going to power their version of what Web3 was going to be. So, um, you know, tokens is one thing. Equity is another, investing in equity. And this is a super, super long topic and happy to dive into it at another time because it is quite important. There's so many ways to invest in this space and most people invest with cryptocurrencies and some of you guys have learned how to invest with NFTs, but there's equity, there's all sorts of other investment vehicles you can invest in. And um, for me, it's been... You know, a year ago, I didn't even know what a fund was. I didn't know how it worked, but I knew that I had to learn about it because that's how some people were making hundreds of millions of dollars. That's how large, that's where large money existed. So I had to figure it out. So I went and started a fund and took me six to eight months to figure out what the heck was going on, but it happened. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a really interesting topic that I'll dive pretty deep into some other time. Well, Maddie, we dove into a lot of projects this uh, show. We really appreciate you coming, man. Um, you know, we've been trying to get this done for a, a couple of weeks. And I know you're insanely busy, but this was just absolutely perfect, uh, you know, given where we're at in the market right now and your experience and your background. Any closing thoughts for the people in the audience? Anything else that you'd want to leave them with? Uh, yeah, well, thanks for having me, guys. It's been a lot of fun, super exhausting. <laughs> so I'm like full spoken out. Uh, in terms of leaving thoughts, I think people underestimate what time in the market means. You start to spot opportunities. You may not be making money immediately. Uh, you know, you don't have to keep throwing your money around and, and start degening into things. You can sort of take your time and build and all that sort of stuff. Um, you may not see it now, but the more months, years you spend in this space, and I know it sounds like very far away and something most people don't want to do, but it's so, so valuable because that network, those people, those opportunities, that experience you get, is what makes you money in the long term. So it may not happen immediately, but it'll happen in time. Um, you know, just happy to be here and happy to jump in again. And uh, yeah, hopefully I'll be more in tune with what's happening on social. I've been out of it for about a year now. So uh, yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely, man. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Maddie, also known as the DCL blogger, OG content creator from 2018. Uh, he's been in the NFC space more than you. That, that's the bottom line, whoever you are. Oh, oh, oh. We have some breaking news. I'm just well, interrupting got... the shit out of that story there, P.O. Hey, thanks for joining, Maddie. Uh, we got some break, late breaking news here. Well, I don't know if it's even... Uh, it's breaking news. It's breaking we got, news. We, we got, got the some, exclusive. <laughs> we got the exclusive on some Goblin Town Alpha. Uh, we got uh, the... I don't know if do you call yourself CEO of Goblin Town? Like, how, how <laughs> do you Goblin describe Town it? CPO, right? The PPO or whatever. There's no, there's no CEO. Uh, maybe the mayor, mayor of Goblin Town. Do you call sense. yourself Mr. Gary PP? No, no. Actually, <laughs> you, you, 
That's funny. Uh, no, we definitely want to make a Gary PP sauce. Uh, we've, we've tried. We, I don't think we could do it without him. So if you, uh, <laughs> go tag Gary and, and try to get him to do Gary PP sauce with us. There we go. What, uh, what's, what's, what's going, going on in guys? Goblin Town? We've got the exclusive. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I want to, you know, I did your show, your YouTube show, like a few days before we doxed. Yep. <laughs> and, yep. And you guys kept mentioning Goblin Town. And I wanted to say something because I'm not really good at keeping secrets. So, um, but, uh, you know, I started smirking and now people make fun of me for my smirk. Yeah, and, um, and people try to call us out. They're like, "Yo, you guys definitely knew." I'm like, "Dude, you, you didn't, just, you didn't just read smiled. into his smirk." Like, yeah, he, what, what the he hell? He was smiling for the. We're, we're funny guys. He was smiling the whole show. So no, we didn't know. <laughs> he was just yeah, laughing no, at you guys at that point. <laughs> no, legitimately didn't know. Really, nobody knew um, it, except Judas. Actually, Judas knew because we, we, uh, you know, we've never talked about this, so we've never really done any interviews, um, mainly because. We don't want it to be about us. We want it to be about the work and what we put out and judge on that. Um, but yeah, there was like a whole strategy behind it. Obviously, there's a bigger, you know, saying no roadmap and stuff doesn't mean you're not working. It just means we're not telling you what's coming and, you know, sit back and enjoy the show. Um, but yeah, no, in, in terms of Goblin Town stuff, there's, uh, there's two big things that are sort of very different than the the average like sort of nft project and if you go back and you look at all the things we've done it's sort of like the opposite of what you'd expect uh, a project to do so uh you know the first thing is it's a, i don't want to say it's a small thing but you know we're we're uh, at noon today and this isn't the breaking thing or anything but at noon today we have like merch coming out it's going to be open for a week most nft projects they'll only do merch for like you have to own the nft and then and then you could buy it we do have one or two items that, that fit that criteria, but um, the, our merch is open to everybody. So anyone who, whether you have a goblin or not, you can buy the stuff, which is very different than like, I own a board Ape, I can only buy the board Ape stuff. And I think the reason why most projects do that is a combination of, hey, this is one of the like value that you have by owning the NFT. But then also I think if we're gonna be honest, like most projects don't think anyone beyond their owners are going to want to buy their stuff, which is, I think not to throw shade at anybody, but like, I think ultimately it, you know, if you're trying to build a brand, you need to not just only have, you know, 10,000 or less customers. So that, that's the first thing. It's not really alpha. The, the, the big thing though is, you know, since day one, we've been talking about burgers, people, you know, uh, made burgers, etc. And uh, tomorrow, uh, I don't think we have a time yet, but it's sometime in the afternoon, uh, you're going to be able to start uh, uh, using your burgers as bait. So everyone was sort of like, what are you going to do with your burger? You're going to eat your burger. Everyone was talking about eating your burger, uh, using your burger as bait. So actually the joke was becoming a, a master uh, baiter. Uh, you know, that's how it sort of started internally. Um, and so you're going to use your, you're going to use your burger to bait and you're going to be able to bait, uh, this new character called a grumple. Um, and, uh, this character is, is sort of the opposite of a goblin. It's, it's super cute. Honestly, they're like adorable. You're starting to see like what they look like a little bit. We've only shown their, their backside, which is, uh, quite <laughs> voluptuous. If I might say it's, uh, if, if goblins are about P, grumples are more about, uh, uh, you know, number two. Um, oh my God. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, they're, they're really cute. They're like adorable. Um, but 
we sort of have like saw them uh, a little bit in the world of Goblin Town. Um, uh, we had this whole egg story. So for people who pay pay attention, um, there's uh, basically there was five NFTs in the collection that were eggs. They started off as just like eggs. And what we did was a little bit different. We actually changed the metadata every few days, and we were actually telling a story. Um, and what we, we what we found out uh, about a week or two ago was that that story, so it started off as an egg, then the egg was like cracking and you thought something was going to come out of the egg. And then a goblin came and smashed it. And then like a unicorn came and put its little like, you know, called I think unicorn sploogey on it. And then the wizard came and then it was basically telling this story. And there's, there's a few tweets out there that sort of tell the whole, you know, egg story. The end result though, uh, well, sorry, in the middle of it, uh, grumples came out and they sort of scattered. And then one grumple sort of stayed this dragon came, he ate the Grumple, he died, because Grumples are poisonous to dragons, and obviously, because everyone yeah. knows that. You, you uh, guys have built out the story in a big way. So basically, the news event is that there's another yeah. asset in the collection, and do you burn the um, the, the, the burgers yeah. for the asset? And yeah. do, you still need a, do you still need a goblin in order to do that? Yes, yeah, so great questions. Um, the... Okay, so to answer that question is, yes, you need a goblin uh, to be able to uh, use your, to, to set up your burger as bait. I mean, you can't just, can't just do it by itself. You need a goblin to do that. Uh, the thing that's different, though, is most time uh, when you have something like a serum or whatever, it's usually a one-to-one -one situation. So it's deflationary, and, you know, if you use it, you're sort of, you make your meat and you're done. What happens here, though, is it's not just deflationary, there's also a supply shock, because uh, goblins can use uh, as many burgers as they want. So you can use, and, and when you're setting up the trap, you either can use one burger, two burgers, or three burgers. Um, and what you will get, uh, we'll find out, but uh, what uh, you can also set up multiple traps. So you can set up, you know, five one burger traps or five three burger traps. So what ends up happening is there's going to be a lot less grumples than goblins in town. Um, you know, I, I, if I was a betting man, I'd probably say 3000 to 4,000. Um, and we've already sort of said, and we put it in the code, but uh, we'll make it official is that there's, we call it utility instead of utility, utility, yeah, utility. Uh, so utility, there you go. <laughs> this is the first utility. Uh, the second utility, uh, hasn't been announced, but in the contract, um, there, there says utility number two. So this won't be the only thing you can do with your burger. Um, but we haven't announced what that is and what you get for that. But uh, yeah, grumples are really cute. And they're like sort of this, they're not companions to goblins, but they're like sort of like uh, friends of goblins. Goblins like when they're around. Um, and uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty adorable. Honestly, they're like very plushy. Uh, like, there's definitely going to be a big plushy line of, of grumples because they're just really cute. All righty. Well, hey, that's the breaking news. That's the exclusive is that there's a new asset in the Goblin Town collection. We will see if that leads to number go up or number go down. Thanks for joining us, AJ. And, and yeah. I guess, yeah, like, so are you trading NFTs right now? Like, are you getting in the mix buying other stuff? I mean, I know the Illuminati NFT, a big part of that is you guys discussing upcoming projects. What's what's going on in that Illuminati Discord? What are you guys discussing? Let's uh, let's get it in front of these 1400 people. Yeah, no. Um, so Illuminati is sort of like the key of the sort of truth ecosystem. And, um, you know, we we've been we've set aside a thousand 
uh, goblins or 900 goblins. Yeah, no, I was asking Alex, Alex, I was asking more about like the other, like the broader NFT market, like what projects. Yeah, Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So I have a sort of a hot take on that right now. I think that for the next 30 to 60 days, maybe 90 days is the last time you're going to get liquidity for 90% of projects. Um, and when I mean liquidity, I think even like 10, 20 bucks. Um, I think uh, the blue chips will continue to do well. I think new projects that are done well will do well, obviously like they're, they're put together well, they're thoughtful. Uh, but I think that the, you know, 90% of projects out there uh, w- will be worthless and have no liquidity. And, now is the final opportunity to get any liquidity for most of them. I know that's a pretty harsh take, uh, but what I've been doing personally is the things where I either cannot find the time to pay attention to, or uh, I just, they're not, you know, the team's not really working anymore and they're sort of there. Um, I think flipping that for ETH is a lot. I think NFT for ETH uh, is a big opportunity right now, because even if you can sell all the things that you think are, basically worthless but you can get a few bucks for right now turn that into ETH. you know i think ETH two three x's from here with merge and things coming up so you know you can take your 20 bucks and turn it to 60 bucks so that's my play right now i'm a big fan of a lot of different projects but in terms of the nft landscape i know that's a little bit doom and gloom but that's you know obvious goblin town but <laughs> doom and gloom i think i think i think that's the, the the reality of the situation is that most things are worthless uh, and that's fine. I, I don't think that the NFT space is dead, but I think it just most things are, are worthless and there's still a little bit of a market for things. So that's that's my take right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been thinking exactly the same way about that stuff. The, the question that I'm trying to answer for myself is like you look at like a mutant ape or a board ape, right? And it's like, do we actually think that they're going to get to the sky high valuations that were basically created by a perfect storm of a crypto cycle, a new uh, division of the crypto cycle, so to speak, in b- the NFT market combined with quantitative easing that was completely unprecedented? That's one thing where I'm like, I don't know if we necessarily see that again, because the statistics on the QE were completely insane. It was like historic levels of money printing. So that is something where I'm like, I don't know if we see that again, right? I'm not in the school. I'm not in the school of thought of like, do we see Bitcoin never break the all time high? You know, I fully understand that it's cyclical. We're entering the bear cycle. The next cycle will have higher highs. There's no question in my mind for something like that. But my question is more like, will an like, do you think an individual board ape or an individual mutant ape will actually hit all time highs again? And if so, like, how long will something like that take? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, I'm, you know, personally, I've got two apes, two mutants, a dog, a ton of land. I actually got really lucky and I, I minted chaos land and other side, which is there's only 111 of them. Uh, so I am, I am a big Yuga uh, fan and, um, and, and holder. And actually I invested a small amount in their, their round. And, uh, and real quick, what, and real quick, I bring up, you know, mutant apes and board apes, but you can insert any quality anybody, project, yeah. no, moonbirds, you know, doodles, yeah, yeah. whatever. So I think, I own like one of all of them. I try to own like one of every sort of, uh, of grail or, or blue chip. Uh, my, my, but my, actually my take on apes is uh, I've already made all the money back that I've ever spent on any ape um, just by like the things that they've rewarded. And my take on them specifically is they did all this before they had all this money and all this, this bigger team to execute. 
So like you'd think actually the rewards will go up, not go down. So I'm, I'm like for, for, for Ape specifically, I'm holding like, I'm just never going to sell. Like I, I also bought mine at like 0.3. So it was like 800 bucks at the time. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm okay. But I just, I can't imagine that the rewards won't get better now that they have so much money. Um, other projects, also a fan of Moonbirds, Doodles. I think anyone who's building like brands uh, and, and or just thinking about their holders and rewarding them accordingly, I think those will, will survive any, you know, prolonged downturn. So yeah. I'm a holder of those. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's hard to see like, you know, where we're going in the future. It's also hard to imagine maybe there's another technological innovation that just draws the attention of the market. People talk about gaming, NFTs integrating with video games in a huge way. That's definitely something that I think could happen. And then all of a sudden, well, maybe a sword in a popular video game becomes the most valuable NFT project. Everybody wants the sword because there's actual proper utility because people want to play it in a game that they're playing anyway. And you look at the size of the gaming industry. Um, at the same time, CryptoPunks, Bored Apes, Moonbirds, Doodles, they might all end up becoming grailed collectibles where rich people want to flex and have them. And that's how you get those crazy valuations as if they were a Jackson Pollock, as if they were a Picasso. Um, you know, anytime it's like an NFT startup, I feel like the, the valuations are going to kind of sober up. Um, well, yeah, thanks for, for joining us in the breaking news on Goblin Town. Sounds like some more assets coming into that ecosystem. Um, just to wrap the show, we got three minutes here. Nick, I'd love to chat a little bit about the crypto technicals. You're in a live trade. We had an action-packed day. Not anymore. Yes. Okay, you're out of the trade. I mean, we had an action-packed week so far because a combination of things. I mean, I really do think that people were reading into Marin's predictions. So people were like the 28th, the 28th, the 28th. Here we are. We had the Fed meeting. We had earnings reports. We had a GDP report. Um, all that volatility, Spencer's been po pointing it out all week. Uh, it seems like the the rate hike was certainly priced in to the point where uh, the fact that there wasn't a surprise there led to a rally. Uh, what are you seeing in the in the technicals right now, Nick? And you just got out of your trade. What kind of went into that? Uh, idiocy, um, uh, poor preparation, <laughs> gambling addiction, um, uh, crippling <laughs> gambling addiction. Uh, in all seriousness. Uh, there's two things. Well, for me, I, I just had a, a a few bad trades over the past couple of weeks. And the biggest thing has just been watching those short-term charts. And I've said this repeated times, but I, I feel like yesterday, the one that, that did really well was I just set my stop loss and walked away. And I came back with the, with the trade that I had like sort of stated um, on what the bet was that I wanted to play and that worked out. And so I, I think moving forward, that's the way that I'm trading it. Right now, it's at like a weird position, especially uh, Bitcoin um, and ETH uh, as well. Oh, well, ETH is actually still pretty damn high. Um, but, I, man, I have no idea. It's impossible. Like, right now, we're in no man's land uh, for a lot of these different things. And I think we're just waiting to see. Um, there's a saying, I think, when in doubt, zoom out. And right now, if you zoom out on the weeklies, uh, Bitcoin has not yet gone above um, the level that I'm looking at, which is close to 23K. Um, ETH is above, uh, and it's it's theoretically running towards, uh, if you wanted a, I mean, a target on this run-up, it would have been around 1785 for me. Um, but, man, 
it's it's difficult to say right now. We had this week, basically, I mean, the one thing that's been great is kind of, it seems like the market's just priced in everything. Um, and so we've been sort of just generally flat uh, following yesterday's rally. And we got the GDP information in, but the uh, market, including the stock market, has not been down too bad. It's, it's adjusted down some, but it feels like, I don't know, we're, we're uh, kind of exhausted. On the technical side, I'm in no man's land at this point. I don't have a trade set up. I'm out of the one that I had. I was thinking uh, if we go above uh, 23K, I've lost money. All the money I lost uh, in the past week or two was just watching that level and us going above it, us going below it, us going above it, us going below it. And uh, I think at this point, I just need to wait on the weekly to close above that uh, for me to have any trade set up at this point. Um, because us ranging above and below has just cost me a bunch of money. Uh, and it's been stupid. I've just, it's been a bad trade. Um, so at this point, weekly, we're looking for 23K to hold on Bitcoin is what I would wait on. Uh, Marin, maybe she's right. I have no idea. Uh, what is it? Full moon? What? It, Jupiter? Jupiter keeps fucking Uranus, and I just don't understand what's going on there with that, with the, okay. with the whole moon thing. I'm just saying that's what's going on. This is just me repeating what she said. So well, you sounded offended about that, but no, I'm just, not offended. I'm just, I mean, I'm just repeating what she was saying. And so, yeah, we have a little bit of we have a full moon situation, uh, and I have no idea what the hell that means because I hadn't been trading it before. Um, Easy was uh, was got me on board with it, and now I'm just like I don't know. But uh, I'm now waiting on the weekly for me to have any trade set up at this point in time because this degen trading uh, is absolutely – I mean, unfortunately, I feel like I've broken even at this point. Maybe I lost a few hundred dollars. I have no idea. I, I got to go back. I downloaded a spreadsheet to go look at all these trades. Um, but I'm just waiting to see how this plays out at this point in time. So uh, ask me again Sunday, Monday, and I'll have a better, better vibe for um, – where we're at in this market. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm now out of my position. I, I gave up probably a total of a thousand dollars off of the 4,500 I gained yesterday. And now I'm just waiting. I also put money back into GUSD, GUSD just to get some interest and I still have some to uh, trade with, but yeah, I'm just on the sidelines for now. Absolutely. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's our show. Shout out to Maddie DCL blogger for his bear market perspective. That was absolutely fantastic. And, you know, the insight he gave us into the metaverse. Shout out to AJT, Alex Taub, uh, the, the, the mayor of Goblin Town for uh, giving us that breaking news. Got the exclusive here on what's coming next for them. Uh, as usual, check out our sponsor, FTX. You can sign up at the nifty.com slash FTX or with the code the nifty on your FTX mobile app. If you're new, we do this show Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time every damn week where we talk all things NFT market. If you want to speak next time, request to speak, but never ever shill. Come on now. And for the first time, I'm going to do a little double down on, a, on the closing song, the closing record. I just want another shout out to all my UK peeps, the UK listeners. We, we appreciate you. And, uh, and yeah, we'll see you guys tomorrow doubling down on this record.